Welcome to HedgePod, the podcast where we explain and explore the many ways that mass entertainment media reflects and reinforces the ideology of the ruling class. I'm Nova, and my pronouns are he and him. I'm Athena, my pronouns are she, they. And today we have a special guest, Parker from Overcritical. Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, so my name is Parker, and my pronouns are he, him. And uh, we're going to be talking about a classic episode of Deep Space Nine. Uh, we've been bouncing around for a long time now, uh, the idea of doing a Deep Space Nine episode, because there's a, a number of good episodes that we wanted to do, and we were having a hard time deciding which, and a hard time nailing down exactly who to have be the guest for the DS9 episode. And so what we've kind of decided is to have April uh, be a month of DS9. So every Monday that we're recording this month, we will be looking at a different episode of Deep Space Nine. And today... The one that we're starting with here is one that is very timely, uh, although weirdly they're all going to be timely. But this one is uh, timely in light of the very significant Amazon uh, warehouse unionization that was finally successful. That I think they announced that Friday or Saturday, and Amazon is absolutely dumping their drawers over it, losing their minds. And also Starbucks uh, is continuing to unionize. Well over 100 stores now have unionized, and they had to bring back their old cutthroat asshole CEO, Howard Schultz, to take over from the uh, CEO that didn't manage to keep the unions from forming. So they are also not feeling great. And uh, it's interesting that the it seemed like you know, the, the, the fervor for unions was going to go away after a while or like it was kind of dying down, but it has still continued. It's been going strong for months now, even as, you know, so many other aspects of the pandemic have dried up. And it is, I think, because the material conditions have not improved. And as long as the material conditions do not improve, there's no amount of this election going to that person or, you know, this media figure saying this or the pandemic being over the pandemic being in a new phase or whatever like if the which material, is not right if the material conditions for the workers don't change the labor push is going to continue to be there and we can't afford to live right now so the push is going to continue the beatings will continue until morale improves really <laughs> absolutely so oh um something funny that athena found and i'll let you go ahead and talk about this some more uh, Athena is the list of words that Jesus. are not allowed on Amazon's new internal worker chat app. <laughs> yeah, so I forget. I I think it's like some app that you have to use when you're working on Amazon, and they have recently banned a list of words that you cannot use on the app. And I'm going to go through them real fast, and you might notice some some weirdness. The, it, it goes, I hate union, fire, terminated, compensation, pay raise, bullying, harassment. I don't care. Rude. This is concerning. Stupid. This is dumb. Prison, threat, petition, grievance, injustice, diversity, ethics, fairness, accessibility, vaccine, which that's interesting. Senior ops, living wage, representation, unfair, favoritism, rate, T-O-T. I don't know what that is. Unite slash unity, plantation, slave, slave labor, master, concern. Freedom, restrooms, robots, trash, committee, and coalition. Yikes. Yes, so they <laughs> banned the word. So some of the big ones here that restrooms, slave, vaccine, and did I say restrooms? Like robots, yes. trash? Uh, like it's just ethics. It's just astonishing. 
So on their internal worker chat app, it's going to auto-moderate, I guess, if you say the word diversity. Mm-hmm. Or ethics. Like, <laughs> like how ethics on the nose. bad word. How, yeah, how <laughs> on the nose could you get? <laughs> oh, God. I almost hope that... I hope it winds up being... You no, know, I was going to say, I hope that it winds up being like a, a scam or uh, a hoax or something. But uh, no, if that's coming from Ken Klippenstein, that is very mm-hmm. solid. Oh, how can you even have any kind of functional conversations? I mean, think about it, though. Like, these are the people that have people peeing in bottles. Yeah. And dying, like, they're dying on, like, the the working floor and they're having to work around the bodies and shit like that. It's fucking bad. Yeah. All right. So with that in mind, uh, at the place that, at a place that would do the FCA proud, <laughs> the, uh, Amazon oh warehouses. Yeah. So I made a comment that some of the stuff in this show is almost like too on the nose and too like comically evil, but Oh, dear God, nothing is parody anymore. No. Yeah, no, we crossed that line many moons ago. Parody does not yeah. exist anymore. Y'all continue the episode. I'm just going to crawl under my desk and go hmm. into a field position. Wow, this originally aired in 1996. I was trying to get a time frame for it. That was yeah. the height of the 90s there. So, all right, now, something I'm going to do here for Athena's benefit because I know you've said that you haven't watched an awful lot of Deep Space Nine, so... I have you... not. This is the first episode I've watched of DS9. I've watched... I have tried to watch some other Star Trek. It's not... I, I always walk away like, that was good, but I never go back to it. I don't I don't know what the deal is. I, I'm sorry I have failed so many people in life. I understand this. It's not the first time. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so to kind of give you an idea to to kind of tell you some of the the characters in this and then some of the the races in the setting too. So, all right. So deep space nine is set on a station that is called deep space nine. And basically the the Federation names a lot of their like far flung outposts, deep space, this or that. Uh, There are deep spaces one through eight out there and there's more past nine too. This station was not originally, uh, the the Federation originally didn't have anything to do with it. It was called Terok Nor uh, by the Cardassians who built it. And they built it as an ore processing facility during their occupation of Bajor. The Cardassians are basically space fascists and they were brutally occupying and exploiting uh, the less technologically developed uh, planet of Bajor. And uh, Bajorans are all, tend to be, the religion is very important to them. So you could kind of, uh, I guess, ha- consider them like a stand-in for maybe the, the uh, Palestinians or something in, or, uh, in Gaza. Were they the ones doing the cleansing ritual? Yes. Okay. And it's like that, the, yeah, they're, so like their cleansing ceremony, a month-long cleansing ceremony in this is very analogous to Ramadan. And they were the the Bajorans, the Bajoran resistance were like freedom fighters who, you know, fought against the Cardassians and eventually made it too expensive and difficult for the Cardassians to continue occupying the planet of Bajoran. Then they all had to leave. And it was at that point that like the Federation came in as, I guess, stand-ins for like UN peacekeepers or something to help the Bajorans repair and rebuild their society. Uh, and then you find out that there's a 
wormhole next to a wormhole in the system, in the Bajoran star system. And this is a wormhole that's a stable wormhole that goes to the gamma quadrant. And the gamma quadrant has got this significant space-going political faction in it called the Dominion. And they're basically planning to go through the wormhole and try and conquer, you know, the local space to the Federation and everybody else around there. And that's the events of the Dominion War, which are like starting up at this point in season four. And it winds up being the main arc of the entire uh, series there. Mm. Uh, and so at the start of the episode, when the when the Defiant comes back from its, you know, explorations or whatever uh it's a ship that's the only federation ship that has a cloaking device so they send it out to go and do reconnaissance in the gamma quadrant and like try to keep an eye on like dominion fleet movements and that kind of thing all right so uh that's bajor that's uh, deep space nine cardassians uh ferengi who are the the most significant people in this particular episode they were introduced in next generation and evolved quite a bit in deep space nine and they're basically space capitalists. It's very, money is super important to them. They use what's called gold press latinum. Latinum is this metallic liquid that is stored inside of gold. They consider the gold itself to be worthless because it's so common, but latinum can't be replicated or duplicated, so it's used for currency. Anyway, they have their religious texts are the rules of acquisition. Their government is the Ferengi Commerce Association. It's an entire... It's basically an entire system built around anarcho-capitalism, where, of course, the state reinforces itself as an economic entity in the form of the FCA. Uh, it, it kind of feels like throughout this episode, because they start, they spout like their rules and stuff at each other. Rules of acquisition. Yep. It, mm -hmm. it kind of reminds me if someone took one of those stupid, annoying, like, I'm successful and you can be too, but mm -hmm. like made it law. Yeah, and it's intended to be satirical, but a lot of people didn't pick up on that, <laughs> regrettably. So Quark is the bar owner, played by Armin Shimmerman, and uh, who also played the principal, the school principal, in the first three seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, at about the same time, actually. So he was a pretty busy guy there. That would have been um, very annoying to go from, because like they're the big-eared uh -huh. people. Yeah, it takes a lot of makeup. Like that was like one of the big thoughts that I had throughout the entire thing. It's like, damn, mm -hmm. that makeup would be so annoying. You would oh, have to get there at 3 a.m. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like at the end of the recording day, he's probably sweating buckets under that mask and all that yeah. makeup he had to wear. Oof. Also, they kind of look like they have butts on their head. Is that on purpose? I thought the same thing. Every time I saw them, I was like, those are ass cheeks. Just right, <laughs> just right on their face. Yep. <laughs> Supposedly, it's because their brain has four lobes. That's why their heads are so big. But they're capitalists. That can't be right. So they're literal buttheads. Yes. <laughs> that that I can believe with capitalists, though. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so Quark, he's owned the bar since the Cardassians control the station. And he's like a, a smuggler. He's always, you know, trying to circumvent uh, whatever the Federation or Bajoran laws are. So he he has like a really antagonistic relationship with Odo, who's the cop on the, the station. Rom is his younger brother, and then he also has a nephew, Rom's son, uh, Nog, and Nog actually goes on to become the first Ferengi in Starfleet. So N Rom and Nog are good guys. Quirk, it, it takes a lot for his character to get developed, but he eventually 
becomes a basically decent guy. You just don't see an awful lot of that here. That's the uh, owner of the bar, right? Yes. Okay. Liquidator Brunt is a repeat uh, Ferengi antagonist in the show. He's, I think, in a couple episodes before this, he had he he came out there to do like an audit of Quark's finances, which was super like stressful for him or something. Lita is the uh, she's Bajoran and she's the uh, she's a Dabo girl. Basically, they're um, that she's the the one with the short red hair who's dating Bashir in this. And Rom is the, the worst moments for Rom's character is when they have him awkwardly making incel hitting on her yeah. gestures. Yeah. I was kind of shocked at how like explicit they were. Like, mm-hmm. like at some point I can't quite exactly what he said, but essentially he was like, yeah, like I'm masturbating too much. And she was like, Oh, and then he was like, you could help me with that. And I, I was yeah. like, Oh my, Oh my God, this is, yeah. This is 90s television all of I'm kind of torn because from my understanding, like, that's like what the because like the race is like supposed to also be like a stand in for like misogyny and shit like that. Oh, yeah. The Ferengi society is hugely misogynistic. Women are not allowed to wear clothing mm-hmm. in Ferengi society uh, until Rom becomes Grand Nagus and changes the law. But uh, at the same time, yeah. though, I have noticed with. Star Trek is very interesting when it comes to misogyny because yeah. on one hand, there's a lot of like liberation type movements and like the freedom of like um, expression and whatnot. But at the same time though, it's not always for women. Sometimes it's more, it's, it's the male gaze and very often women are often tokens in the story, especially in the original Star yeah. Trek, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, the damsel's in distress, gotta save the damsel, you know, bang her, boom, we're done, next episode, new chick. So it's it's a very complicated relationship. Yeah. Oh yeah, always has been very tricky there. Yeah, and uh, in this, you get the sense that, like, she's very, she she's very kind of like sexy lampshade. Uh, she's, in this episode, she's very, like, supportive of rom and you get the sense that like she they're kind of working the crowd together a few times but she's not really the initiator of a lot of things right Uh, yeah there's there's a lot of times where she's you know very much like kind of the trophy in this like not completely because she's with did i hear that she's with the doctor yeah um, oh she can do so much better yeah, it, it, it's mostly that they had to like establish that Bashir is straight because he had so many gay vibes with other characters on the show, including uh, Garrick, who doesn't show up in this episode at all, but he is a, a former Cardassian spy and tailor on uh, the station. And they actually, oh. have, they've, yeah, they've confirmed that the, the actors have confirmed that they deliberately played the two of them as though they were, you know, gay lovers basically. And we're like just in an old gay relationship. I remember watching someone talk about this. Yeah. Were they ever planning on like having that kind of become more of a solid thing? I know that this was like the nope. late nineties. So obviously yeah, not like... from the studio side, right? The, the subtext was always very strong there. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, so I I would not be surprised if they basically told the writers, hey, you've got to get, you know, the doctor's got to date Lita. Uh, but she eventually winds up with Rom and is, uh, I think I said, married to him when he becomes Grand Nagus. So. Wait, she uh, marries the who? She marries Rom, the union organizer. Oh, really? Yep. Hmm. I have feelings about this. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Me, me too. On one hand, he doesn't seem that bad. But on the other hand, they have the incel stuff. Yeah, I mean he he gets much like he's you can already see it in this episode though. Yeah, he, I like him, yeah, especially by the grew, end of this episode. Yeah, his I character like develops a lot. Over I time. have emotions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll work through these later. Yeah. Um let's see. Benjamin Cisco is the uh, station commander. Uh he's the one who tells Quark, "Hey, you know, because we're the Federation, we don't care about money. We haven't been charging you rent, but uh, we're going to charge you right now if you're not going to, you know, pay your workers enough. Worf is a, he's a Starfleet officer who's a Klingon who was raised by humans. And he was previously the security officer on uh, the Enterprise D, which was in Next Generation. That was, you know, Picard and Riker and all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Jadzia Dax is a Trill and she has a Trill symbiote inside of her who has multiple, you know, past existences within the symbiote. And Dax has always, Dax is the uh, symbiote's name, has always really liked and got along well with Klingons. And uh, Jadzia, with the Dax symbiote, winds up falling for Worf. And I don't know if they've been explicit about it yet, but they do, they also wind up eventually getting married and then Jadzia dies. Like, is that the girl that was hanging out with Worf the entire episode? Yes. Oh, that's super obvious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very like, obvious. I'm, I'm a dirty shipper, and like I, I felt those vibes like as clear as clear as nine day. Like it, it's it's very yeah. obvious in oh, the yeah. one episode. Yeah. Yeah, and they they have. I mean, they have a pretty cool story arc too. Uh, now, and, when I say I'm a shipper, I don't go too into things. Like I'm not like one of those yeah. people that. I. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Don't uh, at me. Do not at me about this. Yeah, it sucks uh, that these days you have to like make that clear. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I have not gotten into an argument with the 14-year-old girl about some dumb thing on the internet. I don't know. No, thank you. <laughs> I got Star I got better Trek, things to do with my time. Good. Star good. Trek has been a haven for shipping and has been like defined by it going back to the beginning. Slash fic is slash fic because of Kirk slash Spock fiction. Right. So oh, that was that before was my weird. time. And, and they they had, I mean, they had the, the chemistry there a few times on screen for it, but nowhere near to what you see in some of the later shows, I think. Well, it's uh, interesting. Like, I know this isn't related, but like gay shit baiting is actually like a big thing. Oh, yeah. I think her name's like Sarah Z. She kind of goes through some of the drama in some of these communities mm -hmm. and like uh, Sherlock and yes. uh, what was, uh, Oh, just, just supernatural. Oh my yeah. God. Oh they, my God. Yeah. Super. They send them to super. <laughs> yes. Like long and short of it. Someone comes out as gay. Finally, everyone is like happy for the split second. And then they send the person who comes out as gay to super hell. Like it's, <laughs> It's it I you you have to laugh at it's because it's just so fucking bad like it's yeah. just ridiculous and how bad that is. Well, it's the CW, so yeah, you can't expect, yeah, it's, can't expect too much. I've seen some videos about ex 
like explainers of like who lock and the supernatural stuff and the omega verse and yeah it is the, the <laughs> oh, my god, the omega verse. oh my god yeah it sounds pretty wild oh my god i don't like the most i know is from like sarah z's videos and it's just like oh my god i i can't even i woo that is too much tea for me thank you <laughs> yeah so yeah getting back to the people chief o'brien is almost the only enlisted person you ever see in all of starfleet i think chief scotty from the original series was also i think uh enlisted but yeah, O'Brien on the Enterprise, uh, where he was previously, I guess, stationed with Worf or assigned, he was just like a transporter operator. And they mentioned it in this episode. He spent all of his time just bored in the transporter room. And now be, he's someone who's uh, like a born engineer, basically. He loves fixing stuff. He loves like jury rigging things. And so he loves going to Deep Space Nine because so much of it is jury rigged or old or like falling apart. So He's always got something to do here and he feels needed. And he didn't feel that on uh, the Enterprise. Uh, so it's kind of nice to see that aspect of it. Uh, he talks about how he's descended from an ancient Irish king. He also talks about how he's descended from a, one of the leaders of uh, the coal miners in the anthracite coal mine strikes in, I think, Pennsylvania. And this is somewhere where I really wish we had Jack on this week just because he would... Uh, being from West Virginia, he has a lot of information about labor history there and firsthand information about uh, a coal miner strike that's going on there now. So, because it continues, it just keeps going. Mm -hmm. There's one in Alabama too that's been, it, they just hit a year mark the other day. That's uh, Warrior Med, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. A year on strike? Yes. Yep. Holy shit. Yes. Yeah. They have right. been pushing them. <laughs> yeah, well, good on them. Damn. Yep. See, Julian Bashir is the doctor. He's the useless liberal and doesn't have any bearing on this episode, but he was also uh, genetically engineered and is uh, an augmented human, basically. But he always keeps that under wraps. Alexander Siddig, the guy, who, the actor who plays Julian Bashir, uh, also went on to play one of the guys who's uh, the, basically the, the Lord of Dorne in uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, oh, guy, that's where I recognized him from. Yep. Oh. So he's a genetically modified human? Yes. Does that mean he starts with the free feet? <laughs> uh, kind of, yeah. <laughs> he's really Just really adding the at, nerd jokes here. <laughs> yeah. He is actually really good at a lot of stuff, and naturally so because of the genetic engineering. And this is a big plot element and other episodes of it odo is a he's a changeling his species is called the founders they reside in the gamma quadrant they're actually the ones in charge of the dominion uh and basically they shot a whole bunch of like like child changelings out into space and one went through the wormhole and was found by the cardassians and grew up to be odo it's basically like a scouting thing that they do uh, but he wound up, uh, I guess, not hmm. siding with soldiers because of all of the connections that's, he made. That's interesting, given the history of changelings and also their history and racism and yep. various phobias. Yep. Hmm. I have emotions about that. Yeah. He, he, he previously had the Trill symbiote in him before he went to the other character. Is that right? 
No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Unless they put it in him for like a really brief period of time to kind of store it while switching from one person to another. Okay. But he was never like a dedicated host like Curzon was. Oh, maybe that's what I'm mixing it up with. Okay. Yeah, you might be thinking yeah, of yeah. Curzon, the old yes. guy, the old man. I am. I am. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he he's he had no problems. Uh, be he worked he worked in law enforcement on the station when the Cardassians were in charge, which means he was basically a cop in Nazi Germany. <laughs> hmm. He had absolutely no problem working with the Cardassians, although he does have like some incident later on where he feels guilt for it or something. So a space changeling was working with Nazis. Yes. Hmm. I yes. can see why you might have feelings about this. <laughs> you know? As a law enforcing guy, he's very antagonistic with Quark, except in this episode where he agrees that he wants to kick all of the strikers off of the, the promenade, which is like their main street. Oh, that's Odo? That's Odo. Oh, I don't like him. No. Oh, like kind of cultural hegemony about the background of his character aside, he's also just an ass. Yes, yeah, he's he's kind of a jerk. This is the only episode of Deep Space Nine that I've seen, but he immediately struck me as a major asshole from the get go. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He he's a space cop, and Worf also is a space cop, and they actually get in an argument in this episode over who was the better space cop. So, fuck all of them. Yeah. Worf at least is a bit more likable. But... Worf's a bit more likable. Like I, he, it is entirely possible that he just would had no idea what was going on when he went to when he went to cross the picket line, and then you know didn't like how O'Brien was coming at him and was already in a bad mood, and that's yeah. how he got in the fight. But yeah, that's the subtext a, I got. Let's put a pin on that because I want to talk yeah. about that later. It was very yeah. confusing. Yeah. So okay, that's kind of. The background. I think I did a pretty good job summing up the the series. Yeah, I wrote more notes while you were talking. (laughs) All all my notes, I have like green-eared worker brother, and then I have, uh, or uh, no, big ear. Sorry, it's big ear worker brother. He was wearing green at first. And then it was like big ear owner brother, and then the Klingon guy. (laughs) And that's just all my notes. Yep, yep. So yeah, so the episode starts. There's some stuff on the Defiant that I don't care about with Worf and Jadzia. He's complaining about something breaking down on it. His his plot, Worf's subplot throughout this episode, he's basically the B-plot. And it's all about how he's grumpy and pissy because Deep Space Nine is so much more chaotic than the Enterprise D was. And it goes from that to showing uh, Lita and... Bashir and O'Brien, at, they're getting ready to go into the hollow suite. What you call this hollow suite program of yours again? The Battle of Krantarf. You, me, and a thousand stalwart Irish warriors against a ravening horde of Vikings. It's like the Battle of Britain, only with swords. How come you get to be High King? I am a direct descendant of King Brian Baru. Besides, it's my program. I suppose that's only fair. Now, on... The Enterprise, they had their holodecks um, were you know free for anybody to use, but because this is effectively a civilian station, and the Hollow Suite is uh, owned and operated by Quark, and you can pay him money to rent it, like renting you know a VR room or something, 
and people are able to bring their own programs and have him run them, or they can uh, use like preloaded ones that he's got. So after that, they show Quark coming out, counting money. He's unhappy. Reason he's unhappy is because it's the Bajoran time of cleansing, where for a month, all of the Bajorans abstain from worldly pleasures. Oh, oh. I know exactly how you feel. The Bajoran time of cleansing. Can someone explain to me why the Bajorans need to abstain from worldly pleasures for an entire month? I mean, it's not like they're a bunch of hedonistic, hollow-sweet-obsessed drunkards to begin with. Oh. No use moaning about it. It hurts. And uh, that gets into some of the parallels that Bajorans have with, you know, real-world religions and kind of resistance movements and that kind of thing. Which, actually, if I'm not mistaken, I think Ramadan just started a couple of days ago. Yes. Yes. Yes, it did. Ram is very obviously sick. He's mixing up a home men- uh, a home remedy, pours it in his ear, works mad at him. Honestly, yeah, you probably should have gone to the bathroom to do that, but also he's too sick to be there anyway. Uh, yeah, he's probably not thinking clearly. Yeah. Lita's arguing with Cork, trying to get him to take Ram to the sick bay. I feel dizzy. What else is new? Go wait on table seven. Ram, you look terrible. I think you better lie down. I don't pay you to think. I pay you to spin the double wheel, so get spinning. But nobody's gambling. How can they when you're not at the wheel? I really don't feel good. Can't you see he's sick? He, he needs, needs to lie, lie down. down. Just because you have have doesn't make you a medical expert. Brother, am I still standing? What I do during my time off is is no business of yours. If you don't get back to work this instant, you're going to have more time off than you know what to do. The same goes for you here. Yes, brother. Aren't you going to do something? Of course I'm going to do something. I'm going to dock his pay. And then when Rom passes out, Quark says he's going to dock his pay. Yeah, that felt very relevant. Yeah. Hey, at least it's just dock his pay. He wasn't waiting until he died and then charged him for dying, although he probably would have. Yeah, he probably. Yeah, that seems on par. Yeah. Yeah. In then it goes to the uh, the sick bay and Bashir, Dr. Bashir is treating treating Rom. Tells him that he would have he could have died within like the next two weeks from this, which is not that ear infections can be pretty bad, especially if you've got ears that size. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, Bashir asks why he didn't take a sick day, why he didn't leave to get it taken care of, and Rom describes to him the strict conditions that would make Amazon or Starbucks drool that are in every uh, every working contract that the. Uh, Ferengi society puts out. Honestly, it sounded very similar to stories that you've heard on like slash R anti work and yep. things like that. You know, like, oh, I don't care that your freaking, you know, spouse just died. You need to get to work. Or, yep. you know, the fact that people died recently in a freaking tornado because they weren't allowed to leave. Because you yep. know the people who are shopping for candles in a goddamn fucking tornado. Yep. Yeah, like this seems 
Like, I'm sure this may have seemed a bit like too evil for like the like the more liberal sensibilities of the late '90s, but especially these days in the like when they're uh, they're they're trying to kill us for commerce already. Right, right, and like with the pandemic that uh, has happened and is still happening, and we've heard plenty of stories of like, oh, you're sick with COVID, you still got to come in anyways. Like, yeah, this was very, very on par with what we see in our non-spacefaring reality. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Also, quick aside, real fast, as someone who's been keeping up with this and whatnot, the pandemic is still ongoing. BA2 is set to hit in the United States pretty soon. So keep masking, use yes. N95s, look into better ventilation. Even opening up windows can help if you can. Ventilation, 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 ventilation. Don't go into a restaurant and don't, if you got to go into a restaurant, do not unmask, get your food, get out. Yeah, I've, ever since I heard about BA2, I've just been just waiting for the other shoe to drop here in the States. Like it's, it seems like it's going to be Omicron all over again. And yeah, I mean, it's going to, it's, it's potentially going to be worse. And on top of it, free testing there, it, it seems like it's going away soon. So yeah. we're not going to know until the bodies literally hit the floor. So love it. Love it. Yep. So they're not going to do anything. So do your best to take care of yourself. And I'm, I'm sorry, like not much else I can say other than to push for ventilation and in 95 masks um, help a lot. And uh, vaccination and boosters. Yep. So Bashir, uh, while he's in there, you know, treating Rom for his uh, ear infection, mentions to Rom that they should uh, unionize, that they should form a guild of workers and, you know, stand up to Quark and, you know, demand that he do this and that for them, uh, you know, make the changes that they want. Oh, that should do it. But I want you to see me first thing in the morning for a follow-up. It'll have to be before the bar opens. What you people need is a union. A what? You know, a trade guild, a collective bargaining association, a union. Something to keep you from being exploited. You don't understand. Ferengi workers don't want to stop the exploitation. We want to find a way to become the exploiters. Suit yourself. But I don't see you exploiting anyone. So he gets that idea into his head there. There's some bits where there's... This is where the really gross creepy part is where rom uh, hits on leela mm -hmm. rom how'd it go i'm okay oh julian's a wonderful doctor your brother should have let you see him weeks ago well, it's not quark's fault that i got sick i forgot to get my bi-monthly ear scan and besides i've probably been getting too much umox really who's the lucky female no female just me i'm sorry <laughs> Sorry enough to do something about it? I don't think Julian would approve. We could ask him. Now, it is entirely likely that, like, at least when he first went out into the larger world, he had absolutely no idea how to interact with women in any positive way because he would have never had anywhere to learn it from. Well, so, that's the sad thing about incels, right? Yeah. Is, like... Before you get too far into The Onion, which is a reference to the fascist playbook from Induendo Studios, it honestly just starts off with people who, like, you know, have had, you know, no connection with anyone really. And they and or people who, you know, hang out with very toxic masculinity places, you know, or, or 
you know, fed by algorithms and personal experiences and stuff, these people that, you know, it's like, oh, you got to act like an alpha wolf, you know, and it just starts them down this path. And the end of the path is hating any, everything, including yourself. It's, it would, it's one of those things like it starts off tragic. I stop caring when you start wanting to kill me. Yeah. Then, then I stop caring, but I I definitely have sympathy, especially since it first started off with a woman who the whole thing was like, Hey, let's get together and try to figure this stuff out, you know, so that we can better ourselves. So that it, it has a very tragic start. And, you know, I've, I've been awkward. Like I grew up in a small town. I'm autistic. I, <laughs> my first interactions when I got into college were embarrassing. Uh, so I definitely uh, sympathize a lot, but you know, I don't want to kill people because of it. Yeah. I want to hide under my weighted blanket sometimes, but I, I definitely don't want to kill people because of it. Yeah. And Ron doesn't either. So he's right. He, he's one of the, the few really decent people in this show, but you know, it just, it takes time for the character to develop in that direction. Yeah. From a writing but, perspective, still really freaking creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that they didn't dwell on that yeah. part for very it was, long. Honestly, it was pretty out of character for him, really. Well, it kind of reminds me back then to like how like horny the show is just in general, true. because mo- I'm not going to lie. Most of my understanding of Star Trek came from, Jesse Gender's video on um, Roddenberry, which was also kind of just like the history of sex and Star Trek. <laughs> so, because it seems like the very basis of the show was to be a little bit of a horny mess. So, yeah. but like kind of in a good way. So, but yeah, so it's, it, it definitely seems like one of those moments where it's like the horniest creeped out. Yeah. But, definitely in a not in a not in a f- freedom of sexual expression way but in a that's creepy please don't do that yeah in an inappropriate way this is an inappropriate advance yeah and honestly they they had her play it off real like i i an awful lot of people would not have had such a, a mellow response to that well you say that but it's actually i it's sadly really common Mm -hmm. Uh, especially back then uh because here's the thing so if you are you know someone who is on the receiving end you know normally femme presenting uh, these unwanted advances you're normally kind of taught by society and just in general to you know oh (laughs) that's no thank you you know because you're the whole thing is you're trying not to cause aggression because if you are the, the fear is if you're too blunt, then these people will get angry and lash out at you because you're not giving them what they want. But if you try to placate them, then they'll let you go. I don't think that's how it works, really. I think it's better to be very firm and very, no, don't do that. And then, like, start start there and escalate from there. Don't start with, you know, like, oh, <laughs> but... You know, that's my experience. Some other people might have different experience. And it's just, guys, stop doing this shit. And if you see another person doing this shit, then like stop them. them. Yeah, yeah, like if you can if you can tell that someone's uncomfortable, you know, 
Um, if someone ever comes up to you and starts acting like they know you, you know, kind of like go along with it and whatnot, you might be saving someone's life because it, and that's, that's kind of the travesty. Cause it's like, wow, you know, that's a lot to go off of with this one interaction, but it is, I have seen so many stories about this shit and it's just a travesty. Like the interaction should go, Hey, you want to go on a date? No, thank you for your time. Boom. There you go. That's how you yep. be an adult. You, you shouldn't have to be, you know, you shouldn't go into fight or flight because someone, you know, comes up to you and starts hitting on you, right? It should just be, hey, go away, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that, that should, should be have, the end of you it. You should have that, that the freedom to be comforted, to, to still have comfort in doing that right. instead of, you know, the feeling of having, you know, having to be afraid of somebody because you really don't know what they might do. Right. Yeah, like my own two sisters have plenty of stories they can share of having to just like shrug off comments like that because like they're either alone like by themselves or they're just otherwise in a situation where they can't like be like that aggressive in their uh, in their rejection. And so they have to like laugh it off, just kind of shrug it off because uh, as as women, as female presenting they're at much greater risk of physical violence from like the the one time that you might be a bit aggressive in your rejection could be the one time where it's a psycho who you're talking to and you don't know so yeah it is definitely a a, a, a tragic thing that i have to like i have to remember that like oh like this is the experience that a lot of women go through and so like you have to like really make sure to be an ally in that regard for sure yeah and it's 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 like well not all guys it's like not all guys but any guy that's the sad truth of it and that's that's where the mentality is if you're right. in a group that has to be very concerned about your safety is you that is the mentality is it's like okay this person is starting to raise some flags here they're kind of you know, are they following me? Are they not? You know, it's like, oh, that seems so, so, so extreme. It's like, yeah, doesn't it? Maybe stop doing this shit so mm -hmm. people don't have to live this way. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I remember there was a, a comment thread once where it was like, you know, women, if you could, if, if guys were just gone for a day, what would you do? And all of the comments are like, I would go to the store in the middle of the night and feel safe doing so. And it's just, that's it. Like, those are the entire comments of, like, I would I would jog and be outside and be free and not have to worry about yeah, my surroundings. Yeah. It's, I've, and I've, I've had conversations with guys before where, like, oh, yeah, I, I'll go out and walk around town at 1 a.m. It's like, what the hell? You'll do what? Like, you go walking around at 1 a.m. by yourself? That's mind-boggling to me like i i can't even begin to I, I have a friend who like jogs around you know and they'll they'll jog up into properties and stuff like that that they don't own or anything and i'm just you know that that goes against all of my little you know don't do lists to stay safe so i mean even as a yeah. man that like seems <laughs> like that goes against my own personal uh, to-do list of stay safe, you know, don't go jogging into other people's property. That's wild, though. But, uh, yeah, you have a, an excellent point about that. It's just, like, a lot of the stuff that men can do without thinking, like, women can't. Like, they, they really have to second-guess it. Yeah, it's real alarming if you've got a daughter like I do. 
Oh yeah, gosh, sorry. I can't even imagine. Yeah, so I've got that to look forward to very soon here. Anyway, so getting past the incel bit, Rom is talking to Quark and finds out that Quark wants to cut everyone's... Oh, no, he announces a whole meeting, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And tells everybody that he's going to cut everyone's pay by a third or else lay off a whole bunch of them. And Rom finds out later on that he was not planning to restore the pay cut after the uh, the, the time of cleansing ends. Yeah, and which is... You see that all the time. You yeah. know, I mean, that's what inflation is. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to raise prices because we have to. It's like, ah, oh, because of supply and demand, right? Right? Yeah. You're, you're going to make it go away, right? Yeah? Yeah? yeah. No? No? Okay, cool. Yep. And that's going on right now, too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, places where jobs were, are, uh, positions were cut because of the pandemic. You know, prices were raised because of the pandemic. And, yeah, they're not putting it back to normal now, so... Either the pandemic's not over or uh, they're uh, just not uh, interested in putting anything back to normal. Well, it sounds so, like a little column A, a little column B right there. <laughs> so, And it's around this time in the episode where one of the lines that really stuck out to me is said, one of the other Ferengi workers, like when all the other employees like start to grumble about this one of the other Ferengi say that like the aspiration of like Ferengi everywhere is to eventually become the exploiter yourself yeah. you know um yeah that was Rom when he was talking when Bashir was first talking to him about you know getting oh, a better contract and that kind of thing yes 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 that's right my notes are and he was saying that oh you know the dream of every Ferengi is to become the exploiter yeah like, I thought, like, that was a perfect little encapsulation of, like, especially yeah. American capitalism. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, it's like that old uh, Steinbeck chestnut of, like, uh, the reason socialism never took off in America is because, like, the proletariat just sees themselves as temporarily embarrassed millionaires, you know? Like, eventually, I'll get to the top, and then I won't have to worry about anything. That way, like, I won't have to fight for, like workers rights or like my own rights or anything like eventually i won't have to worry about that because i'll be rich enough and uh, like what because why would i want to push for workers rights if someday i'm going to be the boss and then i'd have to comply with all those workers rights exactly and that's why i don't need rights right now because someday i'm going to be the boss and i don't want to have my rights limited i as you know as nova knows i grew up around you know because my or fox news because my dad is Fox News acolyte, as I call them. And that was something that I heard a lot. And it was just one of those things, like, even as a young kid, I was like, how does that make any sense? Of course, this was back when I was younger and pure and thought that people weren't that stupid. But <laughs> it, it's just, it there, there are people that just really lack imagination and just critical thinking skills sometimes. I mean, and some of it's on purpose, too. You know, because it's just even like even if we were to follow your logic, you're not going to be able to get there because everything is working against you from going there. Yeah. So why it just it makes it's one of those things like I I try to go down the thought process and it's just there's no logic to be had here. And Mm -hmm. I it hurts me. I, I take psychic damage. Because basically what it is, is it is, you know, in every bit, uh, as 
locked in a hierarchical economic system on Frankener as you could imagine it being. And, you know, there's fantastically wealthy people up at the top. And then the overwhelming majority of them are, you know, stuck bartending somewhere in the middle of nowhere. You know, they, they absolutely have these people on the very bottom of it. And what they, the goal is to constantly keep grasping and like wheeling and dealing and try to move your way up uh, steadily over time as much as you can, you know, make a deal here or a deal there and wind up getting up the ladder. and. The thing is, when they talk about when Brunt and, you know, Cork and all that are talking later on about, you know, the role of unions and the way the FCA responds to union talk, that indicates that they have experience with it, that they have experience on Frankenart with uh, unions being an issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Because they wouldn't, you know, the way that not only like initially Rom's confused when Bashir talks about forming a union. He's like, Oh, about that. But later on, you see that what it is, is they have difficulty even saying the word union. And it's, you know, because of, I'm sure intensive doctrination, like business and they've made business and religion syncretic in Ferengi society. Right. You know, mm-hmm. So there's, it is, literally heresy to try and imagine doing things any any differently and there's so it's like saying an obscenity later on when nog's trying to say what it is that he wants them all to form and so that means that there is absolutely experience on frankenart with uh unions and what that tells me is that the basic economic principles, I guess, of Marxism as a whole, you know, in his descriptions of the different relationships in capitalism are, at least in Star Trek, uh, something that's universal across the galaxy. Like, even in old development, you know, systems, they they still came up with it. Well, it's interesting that you say that because Philosophy 2 had a video talking about the different types of, like, ignorance and knowledge and gaining knowledge. And one of the things that they talked about how, you know, even if you were to wipe out all the the very concept of communism, it would come back because the type of knowledge that that is, is something that you can stop and look around and observe and go, well, wait a minute. Yeah. Funnily enough, I actually created a anarcho uh, syndicate group and community in my D&D game before I even knew what that was. So (laughs) it's just one of those things that if you follow the logic and just follow what is happening, you know, little, little number can't keep going up. Like it's, it's against everything. (laughs) It's just not how it works. You can't have infinite growth in a closed system. Yes. Yeah. It's like how on a long enough timeline, everything biologically will just evolve into a crab, you know, like, You'll like eventually you'll get to the point where, oh, we need like we need some communism here. (laughs) We need some Marxist philosophy here. Like you can't quite escape that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I will say, though, if we're talking about their society, 
there was some, there was a line that, that said later in the episode that literally had me bulking. I was literally crying out in a gast. It, it really like caught Coco by surprise. It was playing Elden Ring behind me. Uh, <laughs> and that was like, oh yeah, all 10,000 years of uh, Ferengi, I can't say their name. Uh, Ferengi. Fering it's a hard G. For, yeah. Anyway, th these people's society. And it's like, so that means that somehow their world had existed. And this is something that I think could only happen in fiction. 10,000 years of capitalism. Yep. We've seen what has happened with like, what, 600 years? Oh, yeah. Think how bad everything has gotten in this amount of time. And they have been doing it for 10,000 years. Yep. I don't it's remarkable think that like they even like physically made it that far because like clearly they didn't like boil their planet alive with uh, with climate change on the way so they must have figured did. that out yeah or yeah that's true yeah because that that's the only thing I can think of is like either like their planet is just like it looks like Swiss cheese from like all the mining and stuff <laughs> or we're we're talking like pure fiction here like this is. This is just like, oh, could you imagine living in this society for 10,000 years? You know, because there's just, I've, I've crunched the numbers. Nothing adds up here. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 So, oh, well, I'll, I can post some uh, memory alpha links for y'all to read about Ferengi history, such as it is. Uh, but yeah, it is definitely something where, like, you do know that unions have come up before on the Ferengi planet, because otherwise they wouldn't be so worried about the FCA hearing them talking about unions. Mm -hmm. uh, Attention, please. Thank you all for coming. I know that in the past I've always defended my brother whenever he's taken a stance that's proven unpopular with the staff. But I'm not going to do that today. You're not. No, I'm not. Quark's just using the cleansing ritual. To increase his profits at our expense. Yeah. It isn't fair. And we're not going to take it. Since when? Since right now. So what are we going to do about it? We're going to fight back. In the only way we can. We're going to form a... A... A what? We're going to form... A union! Are you insane? You've just destroyed the lives of every Ferengi in this room. When the FCA finds out we've even been talking of a... A... A union. Don't say that word again. We're in enough trouble as it is. The Ferengi Commerce Authority doesn't have to hear about this. If we all go back to work now, no one else has to know this ever happened. No, no, it's too late for that. The FCA has ears everywhere. As soon as their lobes get wind of this, we're all doomed! All right! So we're doomed. FCA liquidators will probably haunt us for the rest of our lives. But I say, if they're gonna come after us, let's give them a good reason. Every one of you, Ferengi and non-Ferengi alike, knows that the way Quark treats us is unfair, cruel. Don't you deserve a day off when your back starts acting up? Well, uh, I suppose. And Grimp, wouldn't you like to take a paid vacation? You're being ridiculous. Answer the question. It's not gonna happen. It won't happen unless you make it happen. We're Ferengi. And when a Ferengi sees an opportunity, what does he do? 
seizes it? That's right! And I, for one, intend to grab it. We've been exploited long enough. It's time to be strong. Take control of our lives, our dignity, and our profits. Strike a blow against Quark. Strike a blow against the FCA. Strike a blow against exploitation. Are you with me? But what I think is uh, something that's interesting too in this first like union meeting is where you see that the the bar the the bartending staff are from all different uh, alien species, and something that you didn't see happen in this episode for the most part is you really don't see the Ferengi at least the Ferengi workers separating themselves from the non Ferengi workers, and. Mm-hmm. There's something Brunt tries to do later on where he, you know, threatens the Ferengi that, you know, their uh, accounts will be frozen or whatever on Franginar and I'll be destitute if they keep going along with it. That still doesn't really serve for very long to drive a wedge between the Ferengi workers and the non-Ferengi workers. And I don't know if it's too idealistic or if it's something that's hopeful, if it's uh, idealistic or if it's optimistic, because something that has torn apart many a union drive and labor movement in general in the U S has been the capitalist class using race as like a wedge issue and, you know, telling the white workers that, Hey, you know, we're not going, you know, we don't need to pay you what you're asking for. We're going to pay these different minority groups just a lot less than we would pay you. And then that winds up getting redirected into the white workers hating the non-white workers because they've been set against them by the capitalists. So there's yeah. no that not happen here. Or, you know, they'll do the thing where it's like, well, we won't pay you what you're asking for, but we'll pay you people in particular a little bit more than what you were getting, but only yeah. you guys. Yeah. 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 Like, and that, that even comes in later in the episode when Quark attempts to just straight up bribe Rom, yeah. Yeah. which I found, that's exactly what happens with unions. Just like mm-hmm. they, they try to take advantage of the leader's weaker position to sort of get the whole union to crumble. Yeah. 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 yeah that's, it's the problem when you're a whole entire thing is behind one person. If the one person falls, then what do we do? And then, you know, yep. right. We, yeah. yeah. It, it, yep. I, I will, I do want to make an aside too, though, that because this stuff is true, but people who want to be racist, but, you know, don't want to be called out on it when you say like, hey, you know, you're kind of being racist, you know, they'll start falling behind, you know, it's like, well, you're just trying to f- sow division. There's no yeah. war but the class war. But it's like, yeah, but you're causing the division by being racist. So stop being yeah. racist like that. That's yep. it. Just stop being racist. If someone calls you out on your bullshit. Because you're the one causing the bullshit. And funnily enough, there's a, some studies creeping out now that's showing that bigotry is the perfect way to uh, infiltrate movements. So yep. it's almost like allowing bigots into your movement and reaching across the aisle doesn't fucking do anything. So yep. s- stop Bigot- that. Like, yeah. Bigotry is a tool of the ruling class. Right. And that is something that just absolutely boggles me is 
I, I remember like listening to the dollop episode over the Pullman strikes and they were so close. They were so close. But then it was like, well, we can't let the black people join the union. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yep. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Well, and- it's the deep, like it's the deep human tribal instinct almost. And from evolving from like, tribes and the nations and now these days it's used with like it's used with race it's used with sexuality and like it just evolves over time uh, but the like the base thing it it stays the same like we we have to focus on our differences rather than our similarities and uh, eh, i have a little issues with the word tribal but using in this context but i like i i agree with what you're saying but mm-hmm. In in the context, it's how do I put this? It there is a truth that you know we have a tendency to be with people who are like minded, but the this isn't necessarily has to be a bad thing per se. It becomes a bad thing when the things that are making us different isn't like well we want to do something slightly different than you guys over here like. I don't know, have a slightly different structure, but instead it's white supremacy. Like, you know, it's... Right, right, yeah. Like, I didn't mean to make it sound like like something like white supremacy is on the same page as, like, just I I happen to have a different skin color than you. It's like um, one of those no, things no. is not like the other. One of them is definitely not valid. <laughs> And and that is white supremacy. That's definitely not valid for sure. Uh, I just I, I find that the use of tribal in that way is also kind of a cultural he- hegemonic thing, but it's not one that's talked about a whole lot. So mm. it's one that kind of like slips by a whole lot. That's interesting. I never actually thought of it that way. Yeah, it's like the the mindset of like tribes and savages being you know more primitive and less mentally developed than the civilized people. So would like I'm not quite sure like would the term group think be a better yeah. substitution or Yeah, probably. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I I, mean, I I don't know. I haven't I haven't put enough thought into it or looked Right. Well, Sorry, like, I, clearly have. I haven't either. <laughs> uh, would be, I, know, I, I, I live in Oklahoma, that. so I I think about it a lot. Yeah. Well, I appreciate but, that. Yeah, no. Like like I said, it's one of those things that it's like you know, you're not a terrible person if you've ever done this or anything, because it's, you know, right. I'm sure I've I've done it too. It's just, it's one of those things that, it, you know, it's kind of the show, you know, talking about cultural hegemony and stuff. And it's, it's definitely this thing of like, you know, taking this word and it meaning something kind of different than what it probably should. So, and, and trust me, it happens. I probably have I probably have done something similar in this episode because there's a lot of things and we're trying to improve ourselves every day. So it's cool. Yeah. So, so yeah, we uh we did a hedge pod with that. <laughs> we did a hedge pod. <laughs> yep. The more you know. Mm-hmm. So Raman Bashir is asking Bashir about unions at this point, and they contrived some reason for O'Brien to be in there at the same time. But the Bashir, I'm glad you're in. I need your help. Is that air acting up again? My ear's fine. I need some advice about unions. Unions? You said the other day I should form a union, so I did. Rom, I was speaking theoretically. 
and I've put your theory into practice. All of Quark's employees have joined. We're gonna force Quark to treat us better. I hope. A union, huh? Good for you. You know about unions? Who do you think led the Pennsylvania coal miners during the anthracite strike in 1902? I have no idea. Sean Aloysius O'Brien. You know that? There's a lot of things about my family you don't know. Eleven months those mines were closed. They didn't open again until all the miners' demands were met. You mean we should force Quark to close the bar? Only as a last resort. I mean, if he's reasonable about your request, there's no need to strike. Quark reasonable? Ha! Unlikely. You'll have to strike, mark my words. And when you do, you'll have to be strong. Just like Sean O'Brien. Exactly. You know, he had the biggest funeral in all of Western Pennsylvania. Funeral? Hmm. They fished his body out of the Allegheny River a week before the strike ended. 32 bullets he had in him. What was it, 34? Well, he died a hero. He was more than a hero. He was a union man. Bashir, as a liberal, is shocked to hear that Rom went and formed a union and unionized, and they're all going on strike now. And he, he's he, being a liberal, he can't believe that somebody would do praxis. They would literally put theory into practice. Yeah, yeah I, I love this part. It's so weird. Like, oh, I thought you, I was talking about in theory. What yeah. do you mean to a union in theory? What does that yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah, because he comes up with the first I he he's the first one who mentions unionizing, but he says it offhandedly because he's not really thinking about it. Liberals have got this vague idea that unions are generally good, but anytime it gets specific to them, that's when they start to waffle, especially if they own like a new media company like BuzzFeed or uh, uh I think the New York like New York Times is having trouble with their room unionizing and like they it's it's always a good unions are always a good idea until it gets close to them, basically. Right. Yeah, you pay oh. lip service to the idea, but yeah. not not too much because you don't want it to actually happen. You just want to make it seem like you're on board with the idea, like you're with the cool kids, you know. Yeah. And he continues the kind of the with the cool kids thing too, because largely I think because he's friends with O'Brien, he doesn't cross the picket line, and instead there's a point later on where O'Brien and Bashir are watching people go in, uh, past the bar and seeing who's going to go in or out of it. And uh, so, yeah, th so they get there. O'Brien's telling uh, Rom about his family and his ancestor, who was a union organizer. And I love that this is broadcast television and O'Brien is telling people about labor history and how the capitalists will kill union organizers. Yes, yes. Like he straight up says it like they... Yeah. Like they murdered my ancestor, you know, yeah. shot him 32 times or whatever he said. Yeah. Yep. Even, you know, Bashir is still like mocking Rom for it. And we're like, oh, well, you know, at least you'll die a hero. Yeah. It's so <laughs> yeah. gross. Like I, it, I don't, I don't like him. Yeah. It's, it's very annoying. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's the archetypal useless herbal, which is kind of Bashir all over. Yeah, I wish liberals cool, were only useless. If they were only useless, then, I don't know, we could at least get something done, dumbasses. Yeah. O'Brien, though, in this is very cool. He's very based. Based O'Brien. Yeah. So they the workers are on strike. They're, they're picketing outside of Quark's, and Odo goes in there, 
and is approached by Quark, uh, but then you find out it's a hol- it's a hologram. Quark's trying to set up holographic waiters so that he can use automation to eliminate jobs. But the problem that he has is that as a capitalist, he's trying to do it as cheaply as possible. You wanted to see me? May I take your order, sir? Quark, I'm in no mood for games. There seems to be an opening at the Davo table, or perhaps I might interest you in some time in the house. Not again. Are you carrying a tricorder or anything with a portable energy source? What are you talking about? I'm still working out the bugs in these holographic waders. The Lesepian who sold me the program neglected to mention that certain energy sources can interfere with the imaging system. Sounds like there's no end to the problems you're facing. Uh, which means that the pe- person he buys the equipment from is, you know, some fly-by-night operation selling off the back of his shuttlecraft and doesn't tell him that any advanced technology will interfere with the signature. I love how they still have signal interference in yes. in Star Trek. Like, like if you have too many devices in one room, like your Wi-Fi router won't work. Like, they still have that on the Deep Space Nine space station. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. Well, and they they re- also reinforced throughout this episode that like the space station's a mixture now of like originally Cardassian technology and then right, yeah. technology and Federation technology, and you you get the sense that like Federation technology wouldn't interfere with Federation technology, but everything else is kind of an open uh, open book there. I mean, I don't know a lot about tech, but given some of the conversations I've been around since I'm friends with a lot of tech people, it seems like you could still have a lot of interference with like the same techno, like what, where it's from, if it's just a different year. And it seems like the space station is really old. So I oh, just it's super old. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I, I imagine you get that, the old coding thing where it's like, God, I'm not going to go into it. Cause I'm not familiar enough to know the joke, but it's something like you, you open the code and it, you know, we don't know what this line does, all we know is if you delete it, everything will crash. So don't touch it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Sorry. I think I saw a webcomic of like this, like giant tower of like mismatched shapes and things. And then at the very bottom, it's just held up by one little rectangle. And the rectangle is labeled some dude in Oklahoma who's been working here for 20 years. Like it's, it's all yep. just yeah, a house of cards. Yeah. That sounds like it's very common. I've done more than enough IT work in my life to know that, yes, that is very similar to how it happens. (laughs) So, yeah. So, yeah, Commander Sisko is the is basically like the mayor of the situation because he's the guy in charge of the station. And uh, he's but he had explicitly told Odo that Odo can't move the crowd out of the way. I need you to get those traitors away from my front door. They're blocking access to my place of business, causing a disturbance on the promenade, and they're probably a fire hazard. They belong in a holding cell. Every last one of them. Well, I hate to admit this, but I agree with you. From what Chief O'Brien tells me about strikes, they sound like trouble. I don't like mobs. In my opinion, if you need one to get what you want, it's not worth getting. Good, then you'll haul them away. I'll do nothing of the sort. But you said... I know what I said. 
But I have strict orders from Captain Sisko not to impinge on your employees' freedom of expression. As long as they stay peaceful and allow your customers access through the second level entrance, I'm not allowed to interfere. And Odo goes even worse. He pisses me off even worse than Bashir in this because he's like, if you have to protest to make your point, then it wasn't a good point to begin with. And like, mm-hmm. I know it's redundant to ask, how does he expect anything to ever change? Because he was totally fine with nothing ever changing when he worked for the space fascists. But like, how does he expect anything to ever change unless you yeah. trouble for the people in power? I wanted to reach through the screen and just kind of smack him upside his stupid rubbery face when he said that. I was like, ugh. Okay, kind of funny, though, that the changeling doesn't want change, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that never occurred to me. <laughs> but, yes, fascists don't like change. In, in fact, what's, what's interesting I find about fascists, if they get what they want, like, if, if all of the conservatives suddenly got what they want and all, like, queer people were gone and, you know, Handmaid's Tale had happened and all that stuff, like, they would find something new to attack, mm-hmm. you well, know? Because yeah. it's like... It would be over buttons versus zippers. Well, or redheads. Redheads were demonized. Left-handed people were demonized. Like it, there is no end because their entire thing is built upon fear and inhumanization. So if you if you got rid of everyone that was dehumanized, they were dehumanizing to keep themselves in check. They got to find something else to dehumanize, or their entire structure will fall. Yeah, yeah. It's there. They'll always. Like it's, they have to have something to object to, and it's which gives you something to think about anyone out there who thinks that we could just give them what they want. Yeah, you it can't be done. Yeah, no, appeasement appeasement never works. Nope. So, uh, then now we're up to the part where O'Brien and Bashir, as we talked about earlier, seeing who's keeping to the strike and who isn't. What about the Vulcan with their sense of ethics? Definitely on the side of labor. There's a, an interesting bit in there where O'Brien talks about how Vulcans will support workers' rights, which I think is interesting and cool. And when you think about it, it makes sense because Vulcans are intensely logical. And as we all know, the immortal science of Marxism is also logical. Right. Capitalism yeah, like, is highly illogical. Exactly. Like, it it wasn't something that I thought of until they said that line in the show. And it's like, well, yeah, of course they would support the workers because it is logical to... Make sure you have happy and hardworking employees who like working for you so you can continue your business. You know, like, what's going on? What's the problem? Yeah, so, like, just imagining Spock on a picket line made me smile. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> or refusing funny. to cross a picket line would also be cool. Um, so then they see that Worf is going to cross the picket line and O'Brien goes to confront him about it. And then they cut from that to, uh, Sisk, uh, to O'Brien, Bashir and Worf in jail. And Cisco's chewing them out for getting in a fight on the promenade and Bashir getting knocked over a table by Worf. I really wish we could have seen this fight. Yeah. Budget cuts. Probably. Probably. Yeah. And, but- um, he winds up leaving them. I think in there overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It it's just weird. so this is the thing that was weird to me because from all accounts it seems like Worf doesn't ever go into the bar, and yep. so he crosses the picket line. And yep. then when they're talking about later, 
it, it's almost like there's a misunderstanding. Like, oh, yeah. I, I wasn't trying to go into the bar. But it's like they don't really explain it. So it's probably one of the weaker parts of the entire story. Because yeah. it's why did you go like was it because is it based off of the other arc where it's you know he's really upset about everything and he's very yeah. confused about how things work so he thought it was a bathroom or something i don't know like yeah yeah they yeah. honestly could have cut out that entire little subplot and like nothing in the episode really would have changed in my opinion and they so. could have had o'brien still get in a fight just with somebody else right yeah just because he seems like that kind of guy yeah yeah I mean, he's he's a union man. That's what yeah. that's what union people do. It's like you right, don't cross yeah. the picket line. We yeah. will fight you. <laughs> yep. Gotta, uh, take it's, care of Scabbers the rat. It, it's a literal and physical line. Like you do not cross. Yep. So uh, after that, Cisco's talking to Quark and you know is telling him that hey, you know we're yeah I know we're good landlords because we don't charge you rent or you know make you pay for power. But we're going to do that unless you uh, make your workers happy. Captain, believe me, I want this strike settled as much as you do. Then settle it. It's not that simple. Make it simple. Sit down with your brother and hammer out an agreement today. Captain, I'm afraid you don't understand what a delicate situation this is. Even talking with strikers would be a violation of the most sacred precepts of Ferengi culture. Maybe I don't know much about Ferengi culture, but I do know who holds the lease on your bar. The Federation. And I couldn't ask for better landlords. That's because we don't ask you to pay your rent, or to reimburse us for your maintenance repairs, or the drain on the station's power supply. You're a very generous people. Until today. Let's see. Five years of back rent, plus power consumption, Plus repairs. Do you know how much latinum that is? A lot. That's right. I'll talk to my brother. I'm glad we're in agreement. So that was kind of interesting and also something well, which would actually happen. Yeah, the thing is, though, I don't think he did it because he cared about the workers. He cared about it because his peace and order was getting destroyed. So, Oh, right. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He was definitely coming at it from like a just like maintain the status quo. Technocratic liberal. Yeah, yeah. You know, broadly favorable to the workers, but not enough to do anything about it unless they've got mm -hmm. something, unless they're going to scratch another itch at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, like you can you can have your strike, but just don't rock the boat too much. Like, I don't want yeah. you causing, like, I don't want to have to file a noise complaint against you, essentially. Yeah. 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 And so Quark goes and is talking, he's talking to Rom at this point. He comes, uh, approaches Rom. Labor labor where's wages wages are here wages come in wages here what do you want here what's this it's the amount of latinum i'm willing to transfer into your private account if you'll just end this strike Are we talking about slips, strips, or bars? Slips. All right, strips. It wouldn't matter if it were bars. I'm not going to end a strike unless you meet our demands. Mom, we shouldn't be fighting. We're brothers. Not when it comes to business. We're nothing but an employer and employee. You've said so yourself. I was wrong. No, 
you weren't. Rom, can we talk about this? There's only one thing I have to say to you. Workers of the world, unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains. What's happened to you? And when this starts off, you see Rom's going over a whole bunch of... But the, the devices he's holding are the Ferengi version of pads, which are basically tablets, except they look crappy because they didn't realize back in the mid-90s how cool our tech now would be. So, <laughs> But he's, he's looking at these and he's reviewing facts and figures and like you hear him like counting stuff out. And it, it, the sense that I got is that he's handling finances for the strike. Well, I actually thought like he was looking over theory. He's doing that as well. So he's doing both. Wow. Yeah, That's I think impressive. he's doing both. And I think what, because there's definitely like numbers in there that he's reading off and it sounds like he's, you know, comparing different things. I'd have to go back and watch it like closely with the subtitles on well, to be sure. But I wonder if it's because, you know, their, their people really care about money and stuff. Like he's actually like building up a case to why being in a union is more profitable for them. I think he's doing that. I think he's also like, because they're paying out Latinum at the start of it to get people to not go to corks right. to like people off. And the other worker who's talking to Lita while you know Rom hands the money out says, I hope our Latinum holds out. Mm. It makes me think that the workers had mm. pooled their resources into a strike fund and were running things off of that. And I think that's what they're showing Rom do here is I think he's managing the strike fund. Yeah, yeah. That was the vibe I got. When okay. I saw that scene. Well, I just, I do like the idea that there's also like him looking through theory because as a new baby leftist, like oh, yeah. that feeling of like, whoa, did y'all know about this? Right. Like, I got to start reading everything. And you just start yeah. like watching everything and reading everything and you're playing catch up. And well, he's, he's definitely also reading theory because he had that like he reads the Marx quote off of the tablet. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. He I, says I like literally that. workers of the world unite. And I was like, hell yeah. yeah, that's, that's incredible that they said that on broadcast TV. All yeah. you have on to broadcast lose is your television, He reads Marx out loud. Yeah. Um, About four years after the fall of the Soviet union. <laughs> oh shit. That's right. Yeah. Oh my God. I didn't even realize that, that it happened that soon. Yeah. Yep. But uh, oh, yeah, that's pretty. Yeah. Sweet. Like we said at the top of the episode, they have four-lobed brain so it's entirely possible that he was doing all of these things at once <laughs> and you know they he it's something where the, the, the frangie are presented and you know racial essentialism has always been an issue in star trek so mm -hmm. i'll preface what i'm about to say with that but mm -hmm. they do always make a point of saying that Ferengi are really good at numbers so it's entirely possible that like it took him less less attention and less focus to to handle the number stuff and he could also like listen to a Marx podcast at the same time or something. <laughs> but yeah, I'm pretty sure. And you know, that's something where it would make sense to have him use his abilities to try and handle the money here because that way he's taking that, you know, Ferengi trait of just having a good aptitude for finances. And I think he, you know, they're, they're showing that you can take this thing that, that is so detrimental to the rest of your society and actually use it for good. 
And they get on that with his son, Nog, also in later episodes when he comes back from Starfleet Academy, because Nog talks about what they call the river of commerce. And it's something that is actually a very almost anarchist idea. Oh, really? Because it sounded like a nightmare with those people. Yeah. Well, what it is, is it's basically if you're if you're a clever business person, you can trade up from like one thing to another thing to another thing to another thing. Oh, so yeah. You go from what you start with to get to what you want. And in this episode, there's like there's some technical doohickey that they need to fix the defiant and Nog's like, and you know, Brian's like, all we have is this stuff, and it's like self-sealing stem bolts or something, and it's not useful to him. And Nog was like, All right, let me handle this. And he goes and trades the stem bolts to somebody for something else. Oh. And he trades those to someone else, and he trades those to someone else. And by the end of it, after like a dozen hops, he's got the device, he's got the, the item that O'Brien needed. So it's like that thing that's in like every cartoon ever where they go to like a fair or something. And it's like, I have this, but I want that thing. And yeah. 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 So it's basically trading. So my little up. pony episode mm -hmm. with uh, daring do books about this. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it, it, what that shows to is a way that like that aptitude for trade that Ferengi have, you know, it, it's got, you can use it outside of capitalism in a barter system to get the things that people want and the things that people, you know, have and the things that people need to get that switched around in a way that works for everybody. Well, like, so this, this is an interesting thing because uh, bartering and trade has been very, you know, intri intrinsic to society for a long time. And I think it's interesting because I remember when I was a little kid, we were talking about how like, oh, and back in the day, people would, you know, trade goods. And, you know, a lot of the times they would use salt because it was a, you know, very important commodity because it's something that you needed to use, but you yeah. could also use it as payment. And I sat there and I was like, huh, it's almost like our current money is kind of worthless, you know, because yeah. if you were like stranded, you would never want, like, you don't want money. You'd want something else. So it's almost yeah. like it only has purpose because we give it purpose. And my the reaction I got from this, this little kid me saying that, oh, you just don't understand how the world works. Hmm. So fast forward, I was right. And uh, <laughs> my uh, little kid self was smarter than my teacher at that point, at, at least that teacher. So his little, yeah. little baby leftist Athena was right. <laughs> oh, it's, I look at my past and I'm just like, this was the only outcome. Like this was. Yeah. yeah. I it, I was like, what is it? Like I was just like a a baby Pokemon, and now I'm like the the fully. Oh God, I'm a nerd. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm tired. You've reached <laughs> I'm your final nerd. evolution. Yeah. So at this point, after uh, reading marks, the uh, there's a union meeting, and the liquidator Brunt shows up to it. And he's basically the, he's like the FBI guy. And this is actually something in this episode, which overall is a pretty based episode, but this is where the kind of cultural hegemony comes in because it represents the union that the state and bosses have. But the way that they present it, the state, the FCA, has authority over the bosses mm -hmm. and is threatening the boss for not doing what the state wants them to do. 
At this point in the story, Quark wants to work with the workers, but he can't compromise with them because the government, with all of its red tape and laws, won't let him. Hmm. And the reality that happens is, so this is that kind of like, you'll hear it sometimes from libertarians where they talk about how like companies would be more environmental if it wasn't for all of the EPA. Oh my God. Yeah. Because it's enlightened self-interest or something like it's, it's kind of the crux of the nonsensical libertarian argument against regulations. And the, the mindset that they have is that the government dictates terms to business, but the reality is that in a capitalist system, the government is subject to the directions of the wealthy and of big business, their campaign donors, the ruling class. Like there is not a single p- politician in the United States, I think, who's not owned by somebody. See, that's that's the thing that's interesting to me, because, see, my read on this was it was representing the higher boss that comes in and gets onto the lower boss because they couldn't control their workers into unionizing and was going to work on them or going to work with them. So like, you know, the CEO coming in and like bashing the, or I guess the shareholder, I don't know. There's a certain point where I just don't pay attention anymore because I should probably care more. But does, does that make like, does that make sense? Like the higher up person coming in and trying to like get in, get in trouble, the the smaller, lower work, owner. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's definitely the thing that happens. And it's something that we touched on in the office episode where yeah, yeah, yeah. the regional manager comes in or the district manager comes in and yells at the manager for the location there. Uh, and that is, you know, absolutely a thing that happens and could kind of be what they're depicting here. But, but also, I definitely see what, what you're saying, though, that because it's the government entity. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, because it's like Quark's business is like that's Quark's bar. He's the only one I think who owns it. I don't know if he if like it's collateral for a loan back on Franginar or something. Well, I guess you could also argue, too, though, that the liquidator, which, by the way, the fact that the, the union buster is called the liquidator. Yeah. Given what one of the tactics is to, like, liquidate everything and shut everything down. Like, I don't know. It's. Like, and also, but also in like the physical aspect of like, we're going to liquidate your asses is like, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, it very well played on that. But you could also argue that he represents what would happen if libertarians got what they wanted. And which, cause like, they don't really want to get rid of government. Not really. It's more like they just want the government to be the corporations, you know, or if any government still exists, they just want it to exist in a way to funnel money and protect corporations with the boot, you know? So I I feel like you could make the argument that way, but I could definitely see how it could also play off as like, you know, government bad. Oh yeah. Yeah. It could definitely go either way there. Yeah. This struck me as the way I looked at it is that with the mid-level managers and the, like the, real higher ups like the actual owner class like there really isn't any true solidarity in between them because like the what has to keep moving is the money and anything that gets in the way of that needs like needs to stop and so like that's what i saw barunt as when he arrived like he realizes that there's like there's something stopping the flow of capital here and oh so Quark can't get his workers under control where well we need to 
squeeze court here because he like he needs to really lay down the law here and he's not doing that and uh he's not making any money so we really need to get that ball rolling again and um you're like that's yeah. just the way i looked at it yeah it's possible that like he may have some kind of financial entanglements with the fca like he's got to pay them like make mortgage payments or you know pay some kind of tax or fee or whatever and yeah that's the vibe i got yeah i could see that too did we ever mention what the fca is frankie commerce authority it's kind of like their combination it's like their word for the government basically it's their it's their one world government effectively oh geez i thought dear god i thought the fca was just a branch no no Oh, the more I learned. Oh, I need a bath. It's so gross. Hate it. (laughs) Yeah, you would not like Ferengi society. Oh, I would die. Like, they would kill me. They would freaking kill me. (laughs) Probably. Don't let him intimidate you. We're not on Ferenginar. Lucky for you. But the FCA understands that living on this station has corrupted you. You've been tempted by unwholesome Bajoran ideals, exposed to the twisted values of the Federation, and because of that, we are willing to forgive. Really? But don't confuse our mercy with weakness. If you are not back at your jobs tomorrow morning, your financial accounts on Foranganar will be confiscated, your families will be fined, and your trading permits revoked. You'll be ruined, reduced to utter destitution. So the the there's a union meeting. Brunt comes to threaten them, tells them that they will have you know serious repercussions back on Franganar if they don't stop uh, the strike now. And then after he leaves, Rom makes the point to the other workers: if you had anything worth losing anyway, would you be here doing this mm-hmm. job? But you get out. Let him stay there. That's where he belongs. The question is, where do we belong? On our knees, like Frule? Or standing tall, like Sean O'Brien? Who's Sean O'Brien? He was a union man. A man who gave his life to earn a decent wage for his fellow workers. Brunt wouldn't have intimidated him, and he won't intimidate me. What about our accounts on Ferenginar? If your accounts on Ferenginar were worth anything, you wouldn't be working as a waiter. I'm telling you, nothing has changed. Victory is within our grasp. All we have to do is take it. Now are you with me? Yes. I said, are you with me? Yes! Then let's get back on that picket line and show Quark what we're made of. And that really kind of shows, that explains a lot of the difficulty that like Amazon and that Amazon and Starbucks are having in fighting their unionization efforts because the people who are working there have nothing else. You know, you they, they got nothing left to lose. So why wouldn't they go all out? You know, why wouldn't they fight it? Why wouldn't they fight for the chance of something better? Like they've they've been given no reason not to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no talking about how much this place is a family that's going to change that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, even with that logic, I mean, with a lot of like millennials, you know, 
coming out as, you know, trans, gay, etc. And just even hell, even if you don't do that, like we're coming to understand that the whole blood is thicker than water, which isn't even the full saying, is bull. Like found family is more important if they actually provide you with the love and the support that you need. And staying in a toxic relationship just because, you know, this person birthed you and only expects you to give them respect because of that is, you know, gross and <laughs> doesn't do anything so other than cause you pain and destruction. So, like, like that's what corporations are. That's the type of family they are. You know, it's like, well, we paid you, so you owe us respect. It's like, I, I fucking work for you. Like, what fuck this shit? When we see that in the, like in the episode with the relationship uh, between Quark and Rom, like at the start of the episode, Quark explicitly says like, uh, you're not my brother right now. You're an employee. And, mm -hmm. and uh, of course, later on in the episode that comes to bite him in the ass when yeah. Rom is like, well, I thought I was just your employee. So why would I help yeah. out a brother here? Yeah. Yeah. He, may, he makes it clear that, you know, Hey, you, you, put money ahead of family so i'm gonna go ahead and do that too and mm -hmm. you're not my brother anymore fuck you yeah that's pretty good so i think the way they eventually resolve it because they're all trying to deal with brunt as well is that quark says he'll like they'll, they have to end the strike and then he's going to like quietly give them raises and sick time and the other stuff that they were striking for um and it just all has to be on quietly so that the fca doesn't catch on oh. can't have you know, the government interfering in their business. I thought I wasn't allowed to have any visitors. Dr. Bashir made an exception. He said you were almost killed. There's nothing to smile about. Those Nazicans shattered my left eye socket, broke two of my ascending ribs, and punctured my lower lung. If I hadn't come along when he did. Does it hurt? Of course it hurts. Too bad. If you're going to stand there and gloat, you can leave right now. I'm not done gloating. Don't you get it? This was a message for you. It's not going to work. <laughs> I wish Brunt had known that. Odo has him and the Nausikans in a holding cell. He says it's an open and shut case. An open and shut case, all right, but I'm not going to press charges. You're not? Of course not. I'm in enough trouble with the FCA as it is. But then Otto will have to let them go. Either way, the FCA will just send another liquidator. And that one will make an example of you. Then you'll be the one gloating. I don't want to gloat. I want to end the strike. So give us what we want. From I can't. I'm not going against 10,000 years of Ferengi tradition. You're just afraid of the FCA. Of course I'm afraid of the FCA. They crushed my eye socket. And if you had any sense, you'd be afraid of them too. If this strike doesn't get settled soon, we're both going to find ourselves tossed out of the nearest airlock. You have to dissolve the Union. Mm. <sighs> At least officially. What do you mean? I mean... I mean... You dissolve the Union, make it look like I've won, and I'll give you everything you want. 
You'll meet our demands? That's what I just said, you idiot. Even sick leave? Even sick leave. And six months from now, when the FCA isn't watching my book so closely, you'll get your raises. Six months? It's the best I can do. No, it's not. All you have to do is make up one of your fake business ledgers for the FCA. They'll never know the difference. All right. You'll get your raises by the end of the week. But the union dies here today. Also, this happens after he gets beaten almost to death. Right. Yeah. yeah, he gets the shit beaten out of him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which I, I actually thought that was interesting because it's the, uh, what's his, the liquidator, Bron yeah. says, well, I can't kill your brother. Because you make a martyr. Because he'll make a martyr. Yeah. So I'm actually going to try and kill you because yeah. then it will, which is scary, but they fucking do that. Well, they did do that shit, but it's. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they still do. It, it seems like they don't really care about martyrs anymore, to be honest. Yeah. Well, no, they've, there's a lot of people who quietly die. That's, that's also fair. God, everything is fucked up. Yeah, it's less on economic things and more on, like, other social issues, I think, now. Mm -hmm. They can, they can economically kill somebody anyway. Yep. So, yeah. But yeah, so the, um, and... Yeah, so Ron makes it clear that, you know, if Quark doesn't hold up his end of the, the bargain, that there's still going to be trouble. And that is an excellent point because, and like we were talking about with, you know, communism being something that exists, whether you believe it in or not, if the material conditions of the workers aren't improved, even though, even if the union, like they dissolve the union to make the FCA happy. But, you know, Ram's like, you know, if they things aren't handled, then it's going to come back because they can just reform it. You know, there's nothing that stops them from forming a union again if the problems aren't resolved. And I think that's something that, you know, if the material conditions don't improve, then the push for greater changes doesn't stop. And never, it'll never stop. Right. But yeah, so that's, that is the episode. They do have a cool bit at the end where Rom comes back into Quarks and you find out that he is a, he is not an employee anymore. He is now a customer. So he is, Completed the journey to Exploiter, <laughs> and uh, no, he uh, he went to join them. Like he's yeah. like a mechanic. Yeah. So he, but what he does is he gets a job as a uh, maintenance worker on the night shift there, which honestly I think would be a pretty sweet job. Ah, Ron, there you are. Why are you in your waiter's uniform? I'll have a large snail juice, please, straight up. You know, there's no drinking on the job. That's no way to talk to a customer. You're not a customer. You're an employee. Not anymore. I've wiped my last table and mixed my last black hole. Starting today, I'm one of the station's diagnostic and repair technicians. Junior grade, night shift. You're quitting? Effective immediately. I gave you everything you wanted. I know. But if the strike taught me anything, it's that... I do a lot better when you're not around. Don't worry. I'll keep your hollow suites running and fix your replicators when they're broken. I think this will be really good for our relationship. I don't. Think about it. From my point of view, if I keep working for you, all I have to look forward to is waiting for you to die so I can inherit the bar. 
Well, I don't want you to die. And besides, I deserve to have a life of my own now. But without me looking after you, I'll do fine. Suppose you will. I'll miss you. No, you won't. I'll be here all the time. Only I'll be a paying customer. Now get me my snail juice. Brother. Coming up. Basically, he does this. And the reason I think he does this is so that he can actually have a relationship with his brother because yes. now it's not employer employee. You know, now they're effectively equals because he's got a, you know, he's not under the thumb of his brother anymore. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, think yeah, I'm last... really happy for that, for, for him there. Yeah. Yeah. This last conversation really endeared me to the character of Rom. Like he, yeah. he went through all of this and yet still at the end, he made an effort to put himself in a position where he could be a brother to Quark and that yeah. Quark wouldn't have to juggle treating him like a brother and treating him like an employee. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was just a really sweet note to end the episode on. Yeah. And on top of that too, the, he was offered all that money by Quark mm-hmm. to end the strike. And he did, he went through mm-hmm. the strike anyway, kept it going until it was resolved and then quit his job. Mm-hmm. Like he could have taken the money. He knew he was going to quit the job. Or at least, you know, it was open to the idea and he still, he didn't take the money. Yeah, that, I, legend. Like, it's just, that's yeah. that, that's the only thing I can say is. Based Rome. There's so many people yeah. who cannot, it, it's the ring of power so often, right? It's like, yeah. oh, but if I had the ring, then, you know, I could, I could do so much if I had that money. If I had that money, I could, or, and, and that's if someone's yeah. actually like nice Sometimes it's like the greed pops up and, you know, it's like, oh, if I had that money, then I could fuck off and live, live nice. And it's, it's something you have to fight, but I, yeah, let's, let's hope that we can all be in a position that if we're in a position like that, we can do the right thing. But I, I did want to say too, that I, I actually, I was very impressed. Like I definitely liked this episode of Star Trek more than any of the other episodes of Star Trek that I had seen. Mind you, the other ones that I had seen was like the original and um, the one with Picard. And not that that one was like, I'm not saying that it's bad. Please don't come at me. I, I was just saying I like this one more. And especially because like, I was very impressed that, you know, by the end of the episode, I was but in one episode really caring about these characters. But I thought it was interesting that I don't think I wrote his name down. The brother of Rom, Quark. Quark, yeah. You could see himself like regretting his actions, and that he does actually care about his brother past all of the other bullshit. So it kind of yeah. makes you go like, "Hey, maybe he can push past all of this and become a better person." You know, there's like pathos here. Like, hey, maybe yeah. you can do it. You know, you kind of want to like root for him. Like, hey. Maybe maybe you can be better, even though he's very much the controlling older brother and even gets mad. He's a little mad that his brother left because he wants yeah. his brother there. And I, I do think that there is that toxic thing of like, well, I need to protect my brother, even though what I'm doing is not actually protecting. But yeah. it's like, maybe he can get better. Which Yeah, and he does. The character does grow. Too. 
Yeah. It's always give people room to grow. Don't expect them to though. You know, that, yeah. this is my disclaimer for that. Don't, don't expect them to grow. They don't, right. they will not necessarily grow, you know, so people can change. They don't always yeah. change. You know, there's be cautious. Yeah. I think honestly, I think of all the characters on the show on the, over the run of deep space nine, the Ferengi both as like a people and as the individual Ferengi characters did the most like actual growth in actual like development. And that was, I think pretty cool. So. Yeah. We probably do need to break down like the race stuff at some point. Cause yeah. it, I definitely see how sometimes it's kind of like they can kind of do a good job of it, but there's also other times where it's like, Eh, sometimes you all of these are like this and all of these Mm -hmm. look at all of these sneaky romulans look at all of these warlike klingons right which is which i notice is like a very easy trap tabletop rpgs fall into this a lot you have to have a really good dm to break through the books and stuff that do this kind of thing yeah it's Um, a very like sci-fi fantasy trope yeah it's it's because it's a very easy oh i I just had like several realizations at once. I think it's because it's like a very easy storytelling method yes. that yes. falls be on top of the, uh, the, the Commedia dell'arte type stuff where it's like, you have the stock characters. So if you see yeah. that character, then you know, that's what that character is going to act like. However, yeah. people forget that while this is an easier storytelling method, if you do it with a race of people, you're going to fall into some racism. <laughs> Yeah, because it's you're dealing with races. So when you have your dark elves, you know, live underground and be dark and be barbaric, it's like, hmm, what you saying there, guys? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, or my favorite, uh, the colored dragons are bad, and the the platinum dragons dragons are good. good. It's like, (laughs) it's like, whoa. Where's that from? The Dungeons and Dragons, the chromatic and Pathfinder. Yep. Um, pa- yeah. Oh, the, the no. chromatic yeah. dragons. All, all chromatic dragons are evil. All metallic dragons are good. Oh mm-hmm. no! So you have to have a really good DM, like Coco, like I have, and uh, <laughs> it's nice being married to a DM, even though she gets burned out a lot, and I feel bad about that. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> you have to have a really good DM to actually go. Let's not do that. Maybe this uh, metallic dragon yeah. is bad. Maybe this chromatic <laughs> dragon is good. You know, because in it's. And you can, there's so many people who will jump over hoops like, but it makes sense in the lore. It's like, yeah, but yeah. the lore itself is also problematic. And, like, you know, it's it, also like, it's fantasy, which means it's our fantasy and we can change it however exactly. we want to change it. Exactly. Yeah, Thank that's you. the whole point of D&D. <laughs> Imagination. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. It's one of those things like, on, on a little bit of a hand, I can understand where it's like, well, I don't want to think about it while I'm playing. It's like, okay, but you do need to analyze yourself at some point, because if you analyze yourself at some point, you will naturally start coming to these conclusions Mm -hmm. and understandings. You know, the Discworld books are really good for this because he starts off from those fantasy tropes like, oh, here's all these dwarves that live underground and, you know, they're all fearsome fighters and stuff. And here's all these, you know, sneaky little goblins. And then he goes and examines those tropes. And like, you have a problem with like religious fundamentalists among the dwarves. 
that are constantly like fighting against the dwarves that are trying to you know modernize and allow like gender equality and gender expression you get um you find out that the goblins are like horribly mistreated by other races and mm -hmm. are incredibly like thoughtful and artistic and but again, even with like the positive stereotypes like that, there it's not universal. And he will present outliers for all of these trope races. And like there's yeah. a werewolf and a troll that are friends. And it's well, really, really good the way he does that. But should, uh, I should check those books out then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, it, it's just this thing. Like if you actually sit down and and think about it, which I understand that we live in a world that's crumbling and no one wants to think anymore, which causes the crumbling to happen faster and worse. <laughs> but if you actually stop and just put the littlest of thought, but like, Hmm, why would people act like this? And if yeah. you do it correctly, you can actually open up, you know, some like interesting storytelling. That's actually interesting and not goblin bad. We must kill the goblins. It's, right. it's yeah. just, it's boring. Like at a certain point, that's just boring on top of it being bad. Like, come on, y'all. Like, oh, we're going to go journey to the goblin lair again. Let's go do a dungeon crawl through the goblin lair again. This is so exciting. We're doing a dungeon crawl where we kill but the goblins. We got to We got to keep doing that though, because if we think and allow other people to create new, interesting stories, we might have, you know, women who aren't dressed bad or, elves dark elves that aren't barbaric you know like it's like what why are y'all boring like why are y'all boring that do this why, why do you do this why familiar do is comfortable it, which but, is which is an issue that star trek has had throughout its run yeah of, you know people getting mad at it because they want it to be familiar and they want it to be comfortable like every time Star Trek has tried to do something new throughout its existence, there have always been people who've gotten mad at it because something new was being done with Star Trek. Yeah, then you get to the point where you get mad because uh, they put, you know, they they make the women too realistic, and then you get mad because the women are too realistic. Yeah, that that that's a reference to the Aloy has a beard. Yeah. Like, come on, how? <laughs> So I'm sorry. I can't but laugh at it. Uh, it's just y'all are so boring. I'm sorry. Like y the, the y'all I'm referring to are the people that are just stuck in. Cause I just, you, you anybody who bored. has ever unironically said, go woke, go broke. Oh God. I just, just, just get become interesting. Like, I don't know. Just it's <laughs> a, a lot to have to change, but yeah, I, <laughs> there, I think it was a uh, Stephanie Sterling. That's like, oh, you, you still believe in a gender binary? How adorable! <laughs> it's just yeah. like because you just get to a point where talking to other people that haven't quite gotten there is just boring. Yeah. It's just so goddamn boring. Like it's like I I don't know how to describe. I mean, it's Plato's cave. It's always Plato's cave. It's it's always Plato's cave. It's just please. Become like curious. Just examine your horizons. Desire change. Desire learning. Desire something that's not white supremacy. Please, better your lives. I beg of you. Well, on that note, I think we will probably wrap it up for today. Yeah, sorry to go on a 
fantasy rant. I, I know I have <laughs> my connection to sci-fi is the shared like circle of fantasy. Yeah. Parker. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun to talk about Star Trek and worker unions and all that good stuff. So I have my own podcast called Overcritical, where I take a look at uh, movies, TV, and video games from a more broad, critical leftist perspective. So you can find that uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me Twitter at Tall Leftist or at Overcritical Pod. But yeah, I really enjoyed speaking with y'all. Yep. Thank oh, you. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, and th- thank you for having me. I uh, I look forward to listening back to this episode and uh, hopefully maybe come on again in the future. I enjoyed it. Be sure to join us uh, next week. We're going to be doing another Deep Space Nine episode. Be sure to check us out on check us out on Twitter. It's H E G E P O D on Twitter. Be sure to check out our Patreon, H E G E P O D at Patreon as well gonna say so we mentioned amazon children are um, walking out of schools across the nation for the don't say gay bill yeah so good for them the star like we mentioned starbucks uh oklahoma is starting to uh get into the starbucks unionizing which is a big fucking deal so good on them that's amazing was there do you want to plug the group in ohio that they're doing stuff uh, yeah, in Central Ohio, First Collective, and that's with a one in place of the I in First. Uh, they're doing an awful lot of uh, unhoused support in Columbus, and they've been doing this for a long time. Uh, so we'll put a link in the show description and send them some money if you can. All right, well, bye. Bye. Adios. Rom, can we talk about this? There's only one thing I have to say to you. Workers of the world, unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains. What's happened to you?